I'm here to talk to you about suffering, but I wanna start with a very specific kind of suffering. Perhaps you've heard of it, first world problems. Now if you haven't, let me give you a few examples. It's something like, the new iPhone is so big it doesn't fit in my skinny jeans. Or I bought a 3,000 square foot house but I don't get reception in the second tub. Or when I find a Bitmoji, I can't find one that looks anything like me. These are first world problems and I'm not immune to them. Just a few months ago, my wife went out of town and that left me in charge of our two boys. Now parents, there's some days that you don't really wanna win, you just wanna survive. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, you, you get chicken nuggets in them and you, and you do, hey, ketchup is a vegetable, right? It's made of tomatoes. And then it's bath time and you fill up the tub and it's not so much of a bath as a baptism, just all right, get in bed. I was in some serious need of daddy time, some time alone. And so I do all this, I get the kids to bed, and I think, okay, now it's daddy time. I get to do what I want. I get to watch Netflix, get to watch one of my favorite shows in the world, Mystery Science Theater 3000. I slide into bed in my PJs, and wouldn't you know it, Netflix isn't connected to the Wi-Fi. So I reconnect, and I say, okay, this isn't a big problem, right? So I unplug it, plug it back in, maybe that's gonna fix it. It doesn't fix it. And at this point, I'm so mad that I'm storming around the house. Oh, I can't believe I have to do this. I want a TV show. What's going on? I was so angry. And I actually thought, I actually thought to myself, why must I suffer like this? <laughs> now, it's a little bit ridiculous and I'm making light of it, but we do know that suffering is very real. We see suffering with children starving across the globe, racial injustice here in America, domestic violence, abuse, genocide, terrorism, AIDS, cancer. Just turn on the news and you will see suffering. Who needs God? We're doing this series to address the problem of suffering because one of the big reasons that people walk away or never believe in God in the first place is suffering. And part of who we're targeting in this series are folks called nuns. That's the sociological term, none. They're people who, on the census, check no affiliation with any religion at all. Oftentimes, these are folks who have walked away from the church or were never raised in the church at all. One person who could be classified as a nun before nuns even existed as a term was the Oxford professor and great author C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He was raised in a Christian home, but during his teens, he became an atheist, fully rejected God because of the suffering he saw in the world. As a young man, he fought in World War I, a war where more than 17 million people died. And in World War II, he was a college professor, and he watched as people moved out of the city for the devastation of the Nazis' bombing. That's what Narnia was about, right? Children being sent to the countryside. And C.S. Lewis asked himself, in the midst of all this suffering, where is God? This is what he said about it. If God were good, he would make his creatures perfectly happy. And if he were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. 
Where is God? See, C.S. Lewis makes it sound very intellectual, the idea of suffering. But I'm here to tell you, I don't think the idea of suffering is what causes us to walk away from God or lose faith. In fact, I don't know if we care at all until we suffer, until we suffer. It's our suffering that causes us to question. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you wonder why God would take that person away from you. Maybe you got a scary diagnosis and you're praying as hard as you can, but you don't feel like God is listening. Maybe you're going through a painful divorce or separation and you think, God, why did you bring that person in my life at all? Maybe you're fighting hard in a tough relationship right now and you pray every night, God, do something, but it's not better. Maybe your life is just hard and suffering is an expectation. And you ask, God, where are you? And it can feel like sometimes God is nowhere to be found. And I know what that feels like. When I was 19, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had to face my own mortality and I thought, God, why is this happening to me? God, if you are good, why are you letting this happen? I have my whole life ahead of me. So I get why you would question God. I get it. I get why you left the church. I get why you've left God. If there is a God, how do I know that I can trust him? And if I can't trust him, why believe in him at all? That's the question you might be asking. Well, the roots of that question are anchored in the problem of injustice. So bad things are happening, we see it everywhere, so why doesn't God stop it? And if he really is the almighty God, he can stop it, so why doesn't he? Why do bad things happen to good people? We ask those questions. Well, if God is here to prevent suffering, he's terrible at his job. And if that's what you expect from God, you're thinking of the wrong God, you're thinking of the bodyguard God. Pastor Brent talked about this God last week. Now the bodyguard God is so big and so strong that once you believe, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. He protects you from all the bad things in life, that's the bodyguard God. That doesn't happen, does it? And if you left God because of the bodyguard God, good. That's a distorted view of God. That's not the God we serve. Now you can find the real God. I'm here to tell you something that you might not believe, but I need you to hear it. Suffering and injustice aren't arguments against God. They're arguments for God. Let me explain. See, many nuns, and many folks nowadays are followers of naturalism, a belief system of naturalism that was started by Charles Darwin, and that is survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive. In this system, morality is subjective though. There's no moral code. World-class astrophysicist Stephen Hawking said this, natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we've arrived here because of our aggression. That's scary. That means that there's no moral standard. Right and wrong are subjective. There's no objective standard for right and wrong without God. But we do have a sense of morality, don't we? We know right or wrong. We know good and evil, and that is hardwired into us. Hardwired into us from birth, and evolution struggles to explain all of this. 
See, there is a moral first cause. And what a moral first cause means is we have been created. And because we have been created, we reflect the morality of our creator. That's what moral first cause means, and that's what God is. Now, we're not perfect, right? We don't always do right because we've been given free will to choose, but we do know right from wrong. Since we know right from wrong, and God knows right from wrong, why doesn't he make things right? Why doesn't he do something about all this injustice? Well, the half-brother of Jesus, James, has our answer. Now, James became a leader in the early church, and when members of the early church were being persecuted, he wrote them this letter, and this is how he opens his letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait, what? What, hey, Kevin, what translation do you have back there? That can't be right. That's the opposite of what we taught. He said, consider it pure joy. That's completely counterintuitive to what we've been taught all of our lives. But James is telling the truth, consider it pure joy. See, when you suffer, it's not a punishment for what you've done bad. God isn't punishing you. Now, you may be experiencing suffering as a consequence of some of your choices, but it's not God sending punishment upon you to curse you. That's not the God we serve. That's the angry God ready to smack you down when you get out of line. But that's not it. That's not what this is about. And I want to be clear. James does not say be joyful for your trials. He says be joyful in the trials. Ooh, that'll preach right there. He doesn't say be joyous for the trials, but be joyous in the trials. Let me give you an example. I'm not asking you to throw a party for suffering. Hey, honey, guess what happened to me today at the office? I lost my job, yay! Right, and balloons and confetti come down from the ceiling? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about choosing joy in our trials. That's what I'm talking about. Suffering is not the problem. So often we see suffering as a problem. Suffering is not the problem. Suffering is inevitable. It's gonna happen to every single person. But how we suffer is up to us. That's our choice. James says pure joy, and in the Greek what that means is joy not mixed with anything else. Not joy with a little bit of doubt, not joy with a little bit of sadness, not joy with a little bit of frustration, but pure joy, just joy. Joy in our trials. Joy in our trials, not for our trials. That's what he's there for. Why? Why can he say this? Well, he continues in the letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Suffering is a test of our faith. Suffering is an opportunity to display perseverance. And when we display perseverance, we will be made mature, complete. We will be made whole. And that is what God desires for us. 
You've heard of post-traumatic stress syndrome, and that is a very serious thing. But I wanna tell you about something you might not have heard about, post-traumatic growth. It's just as real, and it's a scientific phenomenon that says, when you are suffering, when you're experiencing some of the worst times of your life, it doesn't have to be awful. Sometimes that's when you can grow the most. Sometimes you can grow the most in that, and that's more likely to happen, scientists believe. I was just recently at the Global Leadership Summit, and I heard this fantastic quote from Facebook COO, Sheryl Sandberg. This is how she described this. The right question is not how much resilience do I have. Resilience is like a muscle. You build it by using it. You grow resilience by persevering through trials. That makes you a stronger person. That's downright biblical. God doesn't protect us from suffering. Why? Because suffering is what allows us to grow. Any good parent would not protect your child from something that will help them grow and be whole and complete by the end of their life. We are better because of our suffering. We're better. And that's what I want you to know. I need you to understand this about suffering. When it comes to suffering, the best way over is through. The best way over is through. See, God wants us to be perfect and mature, lacking nothing. That's why he does this. But you know what we wanna do? We wanna skip. We wanna skip. We want bodyguard God to protect us from all of this. But I'm here to tell you, you can't skip. You can't skip the suffering. And I know you can't skip the suffering because God didn't skip the suffering. We can trust him because he didn't skip the suffering. See, at the heart of Christianity is one of the, the most epic events of suffering in human history, Jesus being crucified on the cross. And he could have walked away from it, God could have saved him from it, but he didn't. Jesus endured the cross because he loved us. And suffering does have a purpose. That's what happened. God didn't skip the suffering. He loves us. And when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, he's there to walk the paths of our pain with us. And he's never closer to you than when you suffer. That's the God we serve. And I know this because of my story. See, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had to have a tumor removed from the right side of my face. Now this tumor was in a very difficult spot. It was on my saliva gland, so when they removed it, they had to remove half of my saliva gland. But it was also very close to the nerve that controlled the left side of my face. So one false move in surgery and I'd be paralyzed on the left side of my face for the rest of my life. Well, and they, because they couldn't get all of the tumor, I had to go through aggressive radiation treatment five days a week for six straight weeks. The radiation was so intense, it burnt the taste buds off my tongue. And I thought to myself, why, God? Why? What's the purpose for this? How could this possibly be part of your plan? But my cancer formed me. It made me who I am. So because I lost half of a saliva gland, my mouth is dry all the time, and I have to drink a lot of water. 
But when I sit at dinner and have to get six glasses of water and the server has to drop the carafe off just to keep it topped off, I'm reminded of how I was tested and how I grew. I was reminded of how God used that to shape me. And when I look in the mirror and I see a giant scar that runs from the top of my ear down almost to my Adam's apple, and I see the radiation burns on my face that will never go away, I'm reminded that I'm here for a purpose, not to be a model, <laughs> but for a purpose. That's why I'm here. It gave me passion. Your suffering can fuel the passion for the rest of your life, but we don't wanna suffer. We've been taught we shouldn't suffer. So how do we suffer well? How do we suffer well? Well, I can tell you we have to start by stop suffering in unhealthy ways. We gotta stop the unhealthy ways we deal with suffering. For some of us, we deny it. And church folks, we are good at this. Hey man, how you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed. While your life falls apart behind you. You can't deny it. Suffering doesn't just go away if we lock it in a dark closet. You can't deny it. Some of us, we minimize it. We say, oh yeah, this isn't too bad. Because think of someone else who's going through something so much worse. Think of the orphans or the, the puppies who've been abandoned. They have it so much worse than I do. And you minimize it. But you can't minimize it. Your suffering is the only suffering you're responsible for. You can't minimize it. The last unhealthy way that we deal with our suffering is we numb it. We numb our suffering. We eat too much, we drink too much wine, we watch too much TV, we surf the internet too much, we work too hard, we try to control everything in our lives, we buy too many things. We do this to numb the suffering, anything to try to make the dull roar of suffering inside of us go away, but you know that it doesn't work. It doesn't work, the suffering is always going to come back. But there are some healthy ways that we can deal with our suffering, and I'm gonna give you three healthy ways. The first thing we have to do is own it. You have to own it, accept it, deal with it, look it square in the face, call it by name, and own it. That's what you need to do to get through suffering. Remember, the best way over is through. You gotta own it first. The next thing is you have to trust God, and I know that's hard, but you have to trust God, not only that he will make it right eventually, either in this life or the next, but trust that he is walking with you in the suffering. He's never closer to you than when you suffer, and trust him. The last thing you can do is find purpose from your suffering. Don't waste it, find purpose from your suffering. That's what James is talking about. That's what I experienced in my life. I've never been more sure of two things after going through my battle with cancer. Life isn't fair and God is very real. You see, when you see suffering and the suffering of others, I remember seeing an eight-year-old girl on a gurney near death, the life draining from her body as she underwent chemo and radiation and other treatments just to squeeze another month out of life. And I remember thinking to myself, life is not fair. 
but we're either here for a reason or all of this is chaos and nothing matters. I chose the path that it matters. I chose the path that we're here for a purpose and I can tell you there's a higher purpose and God is calling you to it. Whatever that is in your life, use your suffering as fuel for your purpose and your passion. It's okay to question God and I understand, but I wanna encourage you today, see him in your suffering. He cares and he's there. And I need to tell you, I wouldn't be here without my suffering. You wanna know something about my purpose, what I need you to know? I need you to know that God loves you. I need you to know that you matter to God. He cares and he walks alongside you in his suffering because he experienced through his son, Jesus. He cares, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you and you matter to him. That's why I'm here. And without my battle, I wouldn't be standing on this stage right now. God knows about suffering through the crucifixion of his son, Jesus, who came to earth as a man and experienced an agonizing death so that we may be forgiven for our sins. That's what he did. And on the night before he was going to experience this, you know what he did? He called his friends together for a meal. We call that meal communion. He took communion before he was crucified and we will take communion today. Listen to what he said to his disciples. He said, I have been very eager, eager to eat this Passover meal with you before suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He won't take this meal again, but we take it in remembrance of his suffering and his sacrifice. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do as we take communion. I want you to lay your suffering before him. I want you to own it. I want you to start the steps of trusting in him and giving him that suffering, laying it upon him, because it doesn't make any sense without Jesus. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much we thank you so much that you love us and that we matter to you, God. The God of the universe loves us and there is something bigger for this. God, I pray for everyone in this room suffering, which is everyone in this room. God, I pray that you be with them. Remind them that you are never closer to them than when they are suffering and you will walk the path of pain with them. God, I pray for those that are skeptical of you right now that don't know about it. God, it's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to ask questions. Please ask it. But God, show them this week that you are there and you care and you are the God of suffering. God, as we do this, as we take communion in remembrance of you, God, we remember you. We remember your sacrifice. God, let us do this in love. In your name we pray, amen.